Now hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 42, reading verses 5 to 9. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to carve idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. Well, not unlike you, I've gone to uh, commissioning services uh, all of my life, graduation services where... uh, someone of great importance commissions uh, maybe a graduation class at a college or a police academy or some military school. Uh, Oftentimes uh, events like this are followed by oaths of office. Uh, Again, experienced uh, continually in our culture. But this commissioning service in Isaiah chapter 42 is uncommon in that it embraces redemption and extends from heaven to the Son of Heaven and, of course, to the sons of God. In that sense, it's perhaps the greatest commissioning service of uh, all time. Uh, It's important that we remember from the last chapter that God uh, asks for someone to step forward to give an answer as to how salvation might be had, and there is utter and total silence. But God is not silent. Uh, He answers his own question uh, with the first servant song, Isaiah chapter 42. It's very interesting that all are silent because there is salvation in no one else other than this servant son and in this commission service. The answer, as you know from last week, begins with an unlikely servant son with unlikely service. But this text constitutes his commission. While some argue that the servant is the nation of Israel, it's clear that the nation cannot save itself, and therefore another servant son is raised up that will have a mission not only to Israel but to all of the nations. So again, it is a universal commissioning service uh, to one of the greatest of importance, namely the great servant son. We begin with the commissioner, uh, the one who issues the commission. And he's going to commission one just like himself, uh, and therefore we begin in verse 5, thus says God the Lord. It's critical that we understand the one commissioning 
the servant's son. And namely, we extract from the fifth verse that he is the creator and sustainer of all of life. It's most important because the theology of much of the second half of the book of Isaiah is that God is about to begin a new creation. And so uh, the prophet here is extolling the majesty of God as the sovereign creator. Uh, he closes this text of this commissioning service with the promise that something new is about to begin. That in and of itself extols the majesty of the one that he is commissioning. The text identifies the commissioner as God the Lord, the creator and sustainer, the transcendent and covenant God. More particularly describes himself in four participles of verse 5. He creates the heavens, who stretches them out like a tent, who spreads out the earth, and who gives breath to all of life. Again, it's the majesty of the commissioner uh, who is about to commission one like himself uh, to do and to effect the greatest work of all time. As such, God the Lord has exclusive rights to the one that he commissions. And the reason I say that is because the context uh, False religion cannot commission anyone. To give you an illustration from the Mormon religion, Joseph Smith, in effect, commissions himself. Angels come, deliver golden tablets, then take them away. No one can historically validate that, but he commissions himself. God the Lord is going to commission God the Son, this great servant song, so that all of the cults of the world and all the false religions of the world have an invalid commissioner. Our commissioner is God himself. Let's look at the commission, verses 6 to 7. We're going to shift now from the commissioner, God the creator, the sustainer of all of life, who creates and preserves and keeps all of his creation and now he issues a commission, verses 6 and 7, and it begins with a provision, verse 6. All the commissions that I'm familiar with in the Testaments are all provisioned by God. In light of the difficulties of the commission, we don't think of that, but the commission services of, of all of the Scriptures engage great difficulties. And in light of the difficulties, God makes his own provision for his people. For example, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12, Moses is commissioned to go to Pharaoh. Moses, a shepherd, going to the most powerful man in all of the earth, and is going to tell that man to give up his servants that are building cities for his glory. It's unlikely, except God provisions Moses when he says, I will be with you. The commission falls from heaven to earth in Moses and the divine presence of God to be with Moses. Not unlike our own commissioning service in Matthew chapter 28. What, is, uh, what does Jesus uh, say to his church to provision them and all of the obstacles and difficulties they're going to face, Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It engages obstacles, it engages difficulties. 
but it also engages the divine provision. As you prosecute the calling of God in your own life, uh, you're not alone. God is with you. Absent that presence, we would all fail. With that presence, uh, ultimately, the people of God will succeed. Here the commission begins uh, with a call of God. I have called you. This is an essential element in light of the obstacles, the calling of God. I believe that when we read in the New Testament that Jesus sets his face like a flint to Jerusalem to go and to be crucified, he goes to the depths of the price that he's about to pay because of the one who called him. Essential in your own life in prosecuting the call of God is that God has called you. Heaven summons and commissions his people. The greatest commissioning service of all time. I think it's important to recognize that the commission of the servant son, the commission of the church, is an immutable call and therefore not subject to the vagaries of circumstances. That's where generally all of us fail. Well, God, if you only knew that I was going to go through this difficulty in life, if you only knew that my supporters would desert me and my friends would turn their back upon me, I don't know what the difficulties of your life are. I would bore you with my own. But I only know that they are present. But the abiding sense of all of the commissioning services is the fact that God has called us with an immutable call to prosecute his will, to expand his glorious presence on all of the earth. The righteousness of the call means that he will succeed. Ultimately, our commissioning service extends back to the success of the servant's son that God calls him in righteousness because of who he is. Uh, provision, I think, is amplified in uh, two verbs uh, in, in the text, uh, I will hold you by the hand and watch over you. Uh, the first speaks to profound intimacy between God the Son and God the Father because they're holding hands. Generally, in cultures... Uh, when people are holding hands, there's some measure of intimacy between the two. Here's the greatest intimacy of all time. Uh, the son holding the hand of the father. Uh, the equality of their substance, even though their subsistence is different. In this case, God the father is commissioning the servant son. And I will guard you. The watch care of God the father over God the son never absent, uh, never vacant from the provision of, of God himself. But the very text uh, of the commission is the appointment uh, in verse 6. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people. It's a light to the nations. Uh, if you understand uh, the context uh, here, it's something of the notion that heretofore the nation was to expand the divine presence to all of the nations, but the nation of Israel failed. And so it now falls to this ideal servant son to affect uh, the purpose of the commissioning to all of the nations. In that sense, it's universal in scope uh, as a covenant to the people and a light to the nations. The, the phrases are parallel Covenant, the covenant of God with the servant son is to create light. 
for salvation. It's going to extend from the nation of Israel through the servant son to all of the nations. God is making a new covenant and starting over with his own. Again, the second half of the prophecy of Isaiah begins with the promise of salvation in Cyrus, who is a military figure. And he's going to provide us political solution. But this servant is much more profound because of his greatness. He's going to provide a solution for sin and darkness and evil. Embraces a new covenant, uh, perhaps explicitly referenced in uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. Uh, It's going to be a covenant not like the covenant he made uh, with the nation of Israel through Moses, but a new covenant. Verse 33, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will write my law within them and on their hearts I will write it and I will be their God and they will be my people. But again, it's not like the old covenant. It's a new covenant, Jeremiah says. See, exactly the uh, language that we will extol in a few moments uh, that comes from uh, our Lord the Last uh, Supper, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 25. Uh, he institutes the cup as a symbol for the new covenant. He's making a new covenant. And now we know that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah and ultimately of the servant son, Isaiah chapter 42, collapsing upon the great servant messianic son who now we know is Jesus Christ. And how does he ratify the new covenant? The shedding of his blood. For forgiveness of our sins. It's a reminder in terms of the context of Isaiah that Cyrus is going to provide a political solution Political solutions don't give new hearts. Jesus does. Political solutions don't cure idolatry. Jesus does. That we are dealing with sin is refined in the purpose of the commission, verse 7. To open the eyes of the blind and to set prisoners free. Blindness presupposes ignorance of God and prison captivity. It's really the the essence of the gospel. Uh, The servant son is going to come. He's been commissioned. What he's going to do, he's going to open uh, the eyes of the blind. He's going to enable them to see. He's going to set them free from the tyranny of sin and evil. It's really, again, the essence of the gospel that uh, we extend to the world based upon the work of the servant son. So who is this servant son? And what really does he do when he comes? So we've looked at the commissioner, we've looked at commission, and now we're going to look at the one who's commissioned. Who is this servant son? Uh, The Old Testament has no servant fulfilling this commission. But the new does. This is uh, confirmed in a number of allusions Uh, to Isaiah chapter 42, uh, found a reference in the New Testament uh, detailing the purpose 
the fulfillment of the purpose of the divine commission in the opening of the eyes of the blind and setting prisoners free. We're going to look at a couple. Luke chapter 2. It's a very godly man by the name of Simeon who was looking for the consolation of Israel. And he was promised that he would not see death until he had seen the great messianic king who was to come to fulfill the commission of the great servant son of Isaiah chapter 42. And when Mary and Joseph present Jesus in the temple, Simeon takes Christ and says of him, Luke chapter 2, in verses 30 to 32, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. He's alluding to Isaiah chapter 42 in the work of the great servant son now going to be fulfilled in the messianic king of which Simeon holds in his very arms. Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist is in prison. And he hears about the works of Christ and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus if he is the coming one. And Jesus answers uh, the disciples of, of John. He says, go and report to John what you hear and see. Matthew chapter 11, verse 5, the blind receive sight. It's an allusion to the purpose of the commission from Isaiah chapter 42 that the great messianic servant son would come and open the eyes of the blind. What has Jesus been doing? Healing the blind, spiritually about to make a provision for sin to open the eyes of those who are spiritually blind. Uh, in other words, a reference to our own salvation that we were once blind and the grace of God now we see. Another reference, I think, to this John chapter 8, uh, certainly there's a great textual problem uh, in this text, but nonetheless, uh, the context is Jesus is going to rescue a woman from the harshness of the Pharisees. She's been caught in sin. Uh, the Pharisees bring her before Christ to trick him. Uh, Jesus does something that's entirely unique. He forgives her sin and releases her with the words, go and sin no more. Now, I would remind you from Old Testament theology, only God can forgive sin. And now Jesus is doing just that because he is the very God of very God. He's the very light of light. He forgives her sin. The commentary on what he has just done in forgiving this woman is in John chapter 8 and verse 12. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. Again, Isaiah the prophet tells us that the purpose of the commissioning of the servant's son was to open the eyes of the blind. Jesus has just done that in a woman caught in sin. It becomes his commission to be the light of the world. 
very interesting, uh, very essence of the prologue of the Gospel of John, that Jesus is the life who will become the light of the world. Uh, he's going to uh, come and give men the knowledge of God. Uh, I love the text in John chapter 1, uh, in verse 18, of the majesty of Christ, the great servant son. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. That Jesus comes to explain God. He comes to give us the knowledge of God. The word explain is that from which we have our English word to exegete. That Christ is the solitary perfections of God himself who alone can exegete who God is. And therefore he comes to explain God to be the light of the world to give to us the knowledge of God. John chapter 6, he, uh, he says of his uh, people that they shall all be taught of God, taught by Christ and taught by the Spirit, expanding the knowledge of the identity of God himself to the people of God. It's what Jesus does. That's who he is, the final exegeter of God himself. It's an illustration of this in the motto of the Protestant Reformation. Out of darkness, light. And Christ is the messianic light of the great servant son. One of the events that uh, was part of the Protestant Reformation uh, was the taking of the Bible out of the hands of the priest and being given to the common man so that they could understand the majesty of God. All of that really is an extension of the commissioning of Christ to take the knowledge of God and the light of life to all of the nations. In that sense, the Protestant Reformation is a worldwide revival as an expression of the purpose being fulfilled by the great servant son. But not only does uh, Jesus give light in terms of the knowledge of God and salvation, he leads the greatest jailbreak of all time. He sets prisoners free. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 29. Uh, he enters the house of the strong man and he binds him and then plunders his house. The strong man, of course, is the devil himself. Because of original sin, we were born into his household and he owned us lock, stock, and barrel. Christ comes to the house of the devil, kicks the door down, and plunders his house of all that he wants. By the power of who he was, the great servant son. Very interesting that the word for bind in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 29 is used in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2 of Christ binding Satan with a very purpose that the nations would be deceived no longer. The essence of the greatness of the jailbreak affected by Christ. He binds Satan in his ability to deceive us that we might come to the light of the glories of the majesty of Christ as the great servant son. Again, very uncommon commissioning service because it comes from heaven to embrace the provision of heaven uh, to expand the light of the glory of God to all of the nations.
what was once shut up entirely to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament now has broken out of the nation to encompass all of the nations. Uh, as God plunders through Jesus Christ the satanic kingdom and the binding of Satan in deception. It's very interesting that uh, this text of Isaiah chapter 42 is uh, used by the Apostle Paul in his own commissioning uh, before King Agrippa, Acts chapter 26. Uh, Three times in his uh, missionary journeys, the Apostle Paul uh, alludes to his encounter with the resurrected Christ and the light of the resurrected Christ, the road to Damascus. The light that now envelops him, that ultimately envelops all who belong to him. This text is very interesting because Paul is borrowing uh, from uh, the commissioning of Christ and applying it to himself. Again, Acts chapter 26. That word spoken before a Gentile king. Uh, Christ uh, appears to Paul and sends him to the Gentiles. To do what? Verse 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among all those who have been sanctified by faith in me. In that sense, heaven commissions the servant son who commissions the apostle Paul to extend the purpose of the commissioning to open the eyes of the blind. the majesty of the provision of the forgiveness of sin and inheritance uh, to all who believe in the greatness of the servant son. Uh, by identifying with Christ, Paul continues the fulfillment in going to the nations. I think by application, that includes uh, uh, the entire church. I mean, what is it we take to the world but to the promise that Christ opened the eyes of the blind and sets prisoners free? I mean, think about it. This is the greatest commissioning service of all time. You know, we, we're in the uh, season of uh, the commissioning of students. Some of our own are graduating from high school. There'll be some great exalted uh, graduation speaker. In some manner or form, he will press upon the students uh, a commission I don't know, to do what? Go, go do great things. Make a lot of money. Bless civilization. Uh, make a lot and give a lot away. I, mean, I don't know what they're going to say. I can barely remember my own. But this one, this one is haunting in its majesty to open the eyes of the blind to grant forgiveness and inheritance as the saints of God. You will never hear that commission in all the commissioning services that are about to occur. It's also the season for their graduation services in colleges. What will they be commissioned to do? I don't have a clue. I cannot even remember my own. Commissioned at seminary. All of the military schools I, I attended commissioned to go do things. I don't know protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. Well, that's a pretty exalted commission. It pales in utter insignificance 
of what Christ gives to the Apostle Paul and by application to the church, to open blind eyes, to expand the glory, the knowledge of God to all of the nations, fulfilled in the life of the church by the power of the gospel. In the theology of the book of Isaiah, it's uh, quite obvious that what is happening in the commissioning of the great servant son is going to affect a new creation and begin a new exodus in himself. That's really what you and I are extending to the nations, that God in Jesus Christ has begun a new creation that's captured, I think, most beautifully for us in the prologue of uh, John's Gospel, uh, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is the light and the life of men, that Christ is the new creator, because the old fails. And it begins a new exodus that we begin through the power of the gospel with eyes that have been opened by the grace of God are beginning a march to heaven by the presence of God. Uh, This promise is going to be expanded over and over again uh, in texts that we will uh, yet study and the second half of the prophecy of Isaiah. Again, I've alluded to this on a number of occasions, but to me it's the greatest immigration event of all time. The pilgrims of God leaving the city of destruction, leaving the city of man for the greatest city of all time, the city of God, the city where our Savior lives and dwells world without end. It's a promise of the gospel. something that uh, embraces our our commissioning by God in Matthew chapter 28. Go into all the world, baptizing and teaching. It's interesting that uh, heaven commissions the servant son who then commissions us because he represents and exegetes heaven as a messianic servant son uh, that is the ultimate answer to all of mankind the greatness of Christ. Uh, The the text closed with an affirmation of uh, the divine provision to the Son. Again, uh, I began the study of this commissioning service with a reminder that uh, heaven commissions a servant son in light of the incredible obstacles he's going to face And the obstacles are going to be insurmountable and great, but he perseveres and goes the distance, uh, much like we are commissioned to go the distance. And our calling is like the calling of the servant son, immutable and not contingent upon circumstances. Oftentimes Christians fail there. Lord, if you only knew how hard it was going to be for me, well, how hard was it for the son? And how easy is it in light of the provision of the divine presence? Lo, I am with you always even to the end of the earth. That's why we go the distance, because of the divine provision. The affirmation that closes uh, this great commissioning service, verses 8 and 9, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. And before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. 
The servant son is the exclusive provision of God the Father and the gift of heaven. And every religion and every cult that vacates Jesus Christ is based upon a false commission and a false commissioner. Because the moment you vacate Christ, you lose heaven in all of its entirety because only he can open blind eyes and grant the inheritance of heaven uh, by the power he has to forgive sin. There's no other option than the exclusive provision of God the Father to God the Son and God the Son to his church. Idols are all rejected. Uh, I, uh, I find this more and more in our own culture. I... Uh, uh, went to a business the other day, and I noticed a shrine at this business of a couple of Buddhas. And uh, before the Buddhas were the gifts of the faithful to Buddha, a couple of Coke cans. That's incredible. Wow. I mean, to buy a Coke for your God? Really? God doesn't win us with Cokes. He wins us with himself. And he's no graven image because there is no image in all of the world that could capture the majesty of his infinite glorious perfections. But that is exactly where our culture is going as the West is embracing and dancing with the East. What a tragedy. The glory and praise of God is given only to the Son and no one else. The affirmation closes with a prediction that is certain new things are coming. That's what Christ is going to affect. That's why we looked at Luke and Matthew in the book of Acts. It's begun, all of it's begun. The new creation, the new exodus has begun in Jesus who identifies himself as the great servant son. Again, any religion absent Christ or vacant his accomplishments is false. It is a wonderful application, I think, that I close with. If you're a Christian, it's because God opened your eyes. Had he not opened your eyes, you would have never come to him. That he opened your eyes was an act of his sovereign power and grace to you in Jesus Christ. In other words, this exalted commission was fulfilled in your life when he took the scales off of your eyes so that you could see the majesty of his kingdom, the greatness of his gifts. The rest of the world is steeped in darkness and ignorance, but God promises light and freedom in Jesus. He fulfills the commission as the testimony of who he is and that only he is uniquely qualified to accomplish what God gave him to do. The point of the text of Isaiah chapter 42 is that all that the servant son was to do, he did in the Gospels. All that the servant son was to be, he was and all of the Gospels. I give to you Jesus Christ who opens eyes and sets prisoners free. More importantly this morning, he comes in remarkable way to his people uh, in the sacrament of the Lord's table uh, to remind us uh, of his promise that, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's intensified, I think, in a very real sense and the spiritual presence of Christ in the sacrament. 
but because it's in the sacrament we fellowship with Christ in a spiritual way. That by faith we apprehend his glorious work to us. Uh, that the words of the promise that uh, become uh, the essence of the new covenant, the forgiveness of sin, the greatest provision of all time, the greatest work of all time, the greatest gift of all time to be forgiven. He comes to remind us that he fulfilled that promise for us for all time. One of the great uh, virtues of coming to partake of the sacrament, to realize that he comes in an invisible way by his spirit, to affirm the promise of forgiveness. Uh, remind you that the background of the sacrament is the Passover meal. The apostle tells us that Christ is our Passover lamb. And because of the blood that he shed, the angel of death passes us by. That's a promise fulfilled by Christ. Uh, our service is one that it's true, it's presented to the senses. We're going to eat and drink, but the greater reality is that by faith we apprehend all that Christ was and did for us and all that he yet remains to be in the promise of eternal salvation and inheritance. I do remind you that there are some guards to the table. If you're you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. This uh, sacramental meal is not for you. It's simply to look and to learn and perhaps to ponder in your own heart. This is for those who have given their uh, lives to Christ because he opened their eyes. Uh, if you are participating in some known sin for which uh, you are unrepentant, again, you should not partake of this meal. It's not for you. That's uh, why we begin our services with uh, time of asking God, uh, recounting and realizing the greatness of the forgiveness of sin in confession. Uh, that we confess our sins because he's forgiven us for all time and pardoned everything about us, uh, the majesty of his grace. That in and of itself is a gospel message. If you confess your sins as an unrepentant, lost sinner, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins, to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. We come as Christians to celebrate our cleansing, the gift of salvation, him who opened our eyes and who set us free. Great uh, warrant for this is already alluded to, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the, the Lord Jesus and the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we come to uh, feed upon Christ apprehend by faith the majesty of his provision uh, that he gave his body to the cross that we might be forgiven. 
Grace Bible Church, uh, our service is an open communion service uh, in that uh, it is extended to all who have been baptized and uh, who come faithfully as repentant sinners, acknowledging the greatness of the provision of God. As I, uh, as I break the bread and as we pass it, I ask you to hold the element until which time all are served that we might eat together. In the interim time, I encourage you to uh, give thanks to God. If there's something that you need to settle with the throne of heaven before you eat, then again, it's also an occasion to do just that. Uh, but more importantly, to give thanksgiving, the fullness of the joy, uh, that in light of all of the vagaries of life and all of the difficulties of prosecuting the call of God, he comes to feed us because he knows that we are spiritually hungry. And he knows that as we apprehend and feed upon him by faith, that he is not only sufficient, but he is enough. And may God provoke us, therefore, uh, to give him the fullness of joy and thanksgiving that we might revel in the greatness of our salvation, the forgiveness of sin, and that we were once prisoners of the devil, but now we've been set free. And after which time all have been served, I will pray and we will eat together in celebration of the majesty of the work of Christ for us.